Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, December 18th, Friday. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here. Um, only inside the Gamecast podcast. I'm JC Sherbert, in case you didn't know. Uh, and we just had a completion of a early signing day slash period. Of course, the actual period ends today, I think, if I'm not mistaken, maybe around midnight. Always a chance you could add somebody else in, but it looks like the Gamecocks are right here holding steady with nine um, in the class, in the boat, eight. Uh, nine, if you count uh, TJ Sanders, who's Going to hold off until uh, February to sign uh, the defensive tackle out of Marion, but uh, eight guys are in the boat. And so uh, there were no big surprises here. I think to a certain extent, you know, we didn't know if Jordan Davis was going to sign. We didn't know if Sam, I'm sorry, Caleb McDowell was going to sign. John Darius Morgan uh, came in a day later and signed. and so that's that's the two offensive linemen, really, that uh, Eric Wolford had committed. And, of course, the expected news broke yesterday. He's heading to Kentucky, not going to coach in the bowl game, uh, going to be a part of Mark Stoops' staff up there with the Wildcats. So that means South Carolina is going to get a new offensive line coach. Uh, and there's some talk about a certain uh, coach out there, A.J. Ricker from SMU, uh, used to be at Missouri, possibly coming in and taking over the Gamecocks offensive line. Uh, it, it would be thought that he would come in with a Garrett Riley uh, as the co-offensive coordinator. But we'll get to all that. Uh, I think this is a solid core. Uh, the Gamecocks are. I, I told you guys, too, don't look at the ranking because it's ugly. I mean, there's no way around it. Uh, 107th nationally, 14th in the SEC right now. But you know, look, eight out of how many? I think they'll probably end up signing 25, bringing 25 in. Uh, and then you don't know if the NCAA is going to give some relief on that. Uh, I think the NCAA should do that, not just from a Carolina standpoint, but because you've got a, an ocean of players out there that have another year of eligibility because of COVID. You have a transfer portal that, you know, may grant instant eligibility. And, you know, you need more spaces for some of these guys to land. Um, cause I guarantee you some of these folks that leave and go in the portal aren't going to have spots. Otherwise, if you limit it to 85 and 25, you know, nobody's going to be able to bring guys in. And, and I think that would just create kind of a mess. That's again, sort of unfair to the players, you know, so hopefully they expand that, but I think at least they're going to sign 25. Uh, that's kind of, uh, you know, a good thing I think for South Carolina, because, you want to stay flexible and you want to be able to, you know, go on a guy uh, that's, that's good, you know, uh, when you have the opportunity to get him, you, you don't want to sit there and say, ah, well, you know, this kid out here that we found is 10 times better than a guy we've got signed because we kind of just took him just to took, Hey, take him. Uh, and then you don't get a chance to sign the better player. And that's how you get in trouble when you got holes to fill in your roster uh, down the road. So I, I think that's, um, that's something to be kind of uh, thoughtful of and mindful of. I know that some people, regardless of what you say, they're going to sit there and harp on that ranking over and over and over again. Uh, and that's fine. You know, you, you've got some guys out there that just 
they don't listen <laughs> uh, and all that. Now, is it a positive thing to be 14th in recruiting at any point if you're at South Carolina in the SEC? No. Uh, but the formula is formulated by number of commits and number of signees, and Carolina just doesn't have that many, you know, right now. And the average, you know, star rating is not that high. You know, I think it's at like .085, which is a mid-three-star, something like that. I think some of these guys obviously are underrated, uh, 24-7 sports composite-wise. Uh, you know, I, I think Nick Barrett's a guy, Shane Beamer mentioned it in his press conference, he would be a guy that would probably be much more highly rated had there not been COVID. Uh, you know, you look at him, you can kind of tell. I mean, the guy's big, he's got long arms on film, he's very athletic. Uh, didn't have a high school football season this year. So, you know, he's going to kind of be behind the eight ball uh, going into spring. Uh, but he's an honor student, and he's a guy that I think if he can get back up to speed, he, he you know, it's hard to say for 2021, uh, but I do – I am sitting there looking at the defensive tackles Carolina has, and they are a light uh, in, in, in terms of not just guys that don't weigh a whole lot, but also in terms of numbers. Um, so he can get in, work with whoever the D-line coach is, uh, and get on the field. You know, hopefully he will. But, uh, you know, a guy like that, you know, Caleb McDowell, if he was a little bigger, would probably rank a little higher. That's just how it goes. Uh, I think Omega Blake is another player that had there been, you know, more opportunities to showcase his ability, he'd have moved up a little bit. You know, I, I look at uh, – you know, Marcellus Dial, the mystery man, you know, we, we, we don't, I don't know what to expect out of him because there's so little film from junior college. Uh, I loved his film at Woodruff, but again, they didn't play. So, you know, it, it's going to be hard to kind of tell on some of these folks uh, moving forward. And then, like I said, there's an ocean of players out there to pick from this particular cycle. So if you're worried uh, about the ranking, don't be, uh, it'll be higher uh, at the end. It may not be a top, 40 class, top 30 class when all said and done, uh, depending on how you count transfers. But um, what's important is, is that you, you you get players in that, you know, you feel reasonably confident about in terms of, you know, can they play football? <laughs> I mean, that, that that's the whole thing. And it's very difficult this year, you know, no camps, no nothing, you know, uh, no coaches. Very rarely have coaches even laid eyes on, on a lot of these guys. So, that's difficult. Trust me. You know, I did, I did the evaluation thing for a while and, you know, you see the film, you rank guys based on film. Uh, you go to the school, you go to a practice or a camp and the guy's listed at six, one and he's five, nine, you know, cause you just don't know, you know? And, and so that's kind of the deal there. Uh, and, you know, I, I do think it's going to be a transfer portal kind of year, you know, as far as, you know, getting guys in. I don't know that it'll be the overwhelming majority of this class, but Carolina right now has definite needs, you know, especially at receiver, uh, defensive tackle, linebacker is a spot. There are no linebackers that signed early. So linebacker is going to be a big point of emphasis. Uh, and then they, you always need numbers in the secondary, but receiver, linebacker, uh, I think still if you can find some D tackles, that's going to be hard on the transfer market just because those guys are so daggum valuable. I mean, you'll have a team that's loaded at D-tackle that'll just add one more in because you, you roll them and rotate them. That's a big advantage with those big guys. So, you know, we'll see kind of how it goes moving forward. Uh, you know, I think that when you look at it, it, it's a solid, I would say, solid group 
uh, of eight right now, nine if you count T.J. Sanders, who's waiting. Um, and, and it can get better. Obviously, it can get better. I, I You know, it's such a strange year. It's Shane Beamer, had, uh, had there been a signing class in, in a traditional sense where you got to go get in living rooms and meet guys face-to-face and go after guys and try to flip guys in person, which that's where your flipping happens. You know, you bring guys in for visits, that kind of thing. That, that That's when your flips happen. The, the flips don't really happen over Zoom. Um, some schools are better at Zoom recruiting than others. But uh, I think that that's a deal – where, you know, if you're the Gamecocks, you know, you, you kind of did the best you could. And, you know, all these guys in this class, I, I think, are pretty good players, you know, with, with potential and, and upside and all that, you know. So that's the deal there with the signing class. You know, we'll see if anything pops up. Uh, other than that, the staff sort of taking shape behind the scenes. Tony Morrell, the big spur, uh, a big report today. It does look like Mike Bobo is staying. Uh, I think that's a positive thing. I think some of you out there that are still mad because Colin Hill was the starting quarterback, you know, you're probably not going to like the move too much. Uh, But I've explained that that was the right decision, you know, to to go with Hill, especially early and to go with Doty, you know, the last uh, 10 quarters of football, you know, people, uh, I think sometimes just forget that, you know, hey, Hill wasn't playing well and it got to the point where they had to play Doty. Um, and, and they did, you know, credit Mike Bobo. He's the interim head coach. He can start whoever he wants. And uh, he, there's only been two quarters of football where Colin Hill's been the guy. Uh, and that was against Missouri. Then Doty came in and Doty's played the rest of the way. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in the bowl game. But, uh, you know, and there's some question about Mike Bobo out there that, you know, about, you know, well, it's, it's, it's an old school offensive system. And it's really not. Um. You know, if you think about Carolina this year, what were they doing early on when the offense was clicking and Hill was, you know, finding his receivers and stuff? Think about Tennessee, Florida. You know, they they were they were throwing it uh, and then running it, and a lot of it was out of the gun. It wasn't all eye formation, all that good stuff. Um, and there, you look back at Colorado State, and you look back at Georgia when he was there four out of the last five years. Uh, they had elite offenses that went up and down the field on just about everybody in the country. You know, I, I think as Gamecock people, you know, sometimes it's hard to get past that 2012 game where, you know, Georgia really didn't go very far against Carolina's defense. But if you think about the 2011 game and the 2013 game and the 2014 game, uh, Mike Bobo's offense went up and down the field on really, you know, with the exception of 2014, you know, the 20, 2011 and 2013 were pretty good South Carolina defenses. So, you know, and and as much as they went up and down the field on the Gamecocks, they went up and down the field on other people too. I'll never forget the 2012 SEC championship game uh, where Georgia, you know, despite being a heavy underdog to Alabama, I was in the stadium that day, you know, went up and down the field with them. They had a young Todd Gurley uh, and good backs, but Carolina's got good backs. You know, Carolina needs some receivers. You know, Carolina needs to – to come on a little bit at quarterback with Luke Doty or Ryan Helensky or whoever it is uh, for next season. Uh, and then you talk about blending it with uh, some of the concepts that Garrett Riley uh, will bring to the table. If he's the guy that comes in the SMU offensive coordinator, brother of Lincoln Riley. Uh, and it's intriguing. It's intriguing to think about. And, you know, people, I, and I'll say this, I, I'm not a big fan of square pegs and round holes. 
uh, in terms of, you know, you're going to do this or you're going to do that. You need to commit to this or commit to that and do it. But we, we have seen some blending at South Carolina. I mean, uh, you, you saw Steve Spurrier uh, when they brought in Eric Wolford and then Sean Elliott after him really commit to the zone read run game. You know, part of that was G.A. Mangus, too, because that was kind of Mangus's offense. It was, you know, Spurrier's passing game, but the zone read run game. And, and that helped Carolina win games with Connor Shaw, Steven Garcia. Uh, even Dylan Thompson got some rushing yards uh, during that point in time. Um, and, and you kept the the passing attack, you know, and, and Spurrier called it. Or, you know, they during that point, there were multiple play callers. Now, I'm not a fan of that. You know, I'm not a fan of in-game switching up the play calling. Uh, but, you know, it, it worked. Um, you know, Clemson has had co-coordinators uh, up until Jeff Scott left and went to uh, the USF. You know, Tony Elliott called it. Jeff Scott helped put it together. Um, and that's kind of what I envisioned happening with Bobo uh, is that, you know, Link – or sorry, Garrett Riley helps put it all together, but Bobo is the one calling it. Bobo's a – Masterful play caller, guys. If you, if you look at the actual plays that were called when they were executed, you know, there's guys you know, scheming to get guys open. Uh, when you have one receiver, that's difficult. Uh, when everybody in the stadium knows you're going to run and you run it anyway, you know, and then bust out along, that's difficult to do. Not every play caller could have done that. And I know the, the numbers are very modest and tough uh, to look at. And some of you are screaming at the podcast right now. Well, show me. This was awful, you know, the stats. But that that's just more because they were limited. And there were all kinds of issues with the team this year, uh, personnel-wise. I'm not saying every play calls perfect, but uh, nobody out there calls plays to perfection. You know, I think that, you know, if, 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 you, if you're hitting at a high clip with play calls, you're doing pretty good. And, and I think that that's – that's the deal. And if you want to talk about production and, and numbers, obviously that's the most important thing. But I'll also tell you this. I think that uh, one of the best games Steve Spurrier ever called in his career was a 2006 Florida-South Carolina game uh, when he was at South Carolina. And, and that was one of the best, you know, you, you, Gary Danielson even talked about it, uh, how he was scheming them up, calling the ball plays. You know, that was epitome evil genius right there. And the Gamecocks scored a grand total of 16 points because that was a really good defensive team at Florida that won the national championship and all that. Uh, Carolina missed an extra point and uh, cost them the game. But uh, Gamecocks did go up and down the field. Later that year against Clemson, uh, they scored 31, had a bunch called back and all that. But that was another. You know, Spurrier kind of got in a zone there at the end of 06. Um you know, and, and so that was obviously 31 points. That's a lot better. But, uh, you know, it, it's sometimes when you're kind of breaking it down, is it a good call? Is it a bad call? Whatever. You know, it's easy just to say, well, it's good if it works. It's bad if it doesn't. And that's true. I mean, that, you know, hey, that's everybody will agree with that. Ah, it's a good play call if it works. It's bad if it doesn't. Um, and that's really what we all want. You know, you all want to see points scored, yardage piled up. But when you really dig into it, you know, I, I think Bobo's a really good play caller and has been uh, one of the best uh, in the SEC uh, for a long time now. And, you know, I, I think, too, when you talk about meshing systems, you know, the great offensive coordinators don't really stand still, you know, and, and I use the Spurrier example of 
hey, uh, we need to do something else in the run game at South Carolina. Um, and they did, and, and it worked. You know, it, it wasn't as fun as the fun and gun, but it worked. Uh, and so I think that when you, you talk about that and bringing in Garrett Riley and some air raid passing concepts, look, air raid passing concepts, if you turn on the TV on Sunday, you know, they're everywhere. It's spread like wildfire, you know. And so, you know, you add that in, you know, to what you've already got with the run game and all that. And I, I think it'll be fine. You know, I, I think play calling is play calling, whether the formation's out of the gun or whether it's under center or whatever. And I also don't think, you know, when you're talking about South Carolina and needing to be kind of different to win games and all that, I don't think you scrap the I formation stuff. Uh, I think when you get inside the 20, it really screws with the defense. Uh, to have to go defend a two-back smash-mouth run game uh, when you're chucking it all down the field to begin with, and then boom, you hit them with that. That's that's sometimes a, a good thing to have in your arsenal. Uh, and, you know, like the Ole Miss game this year, Carolina was under center most of that game. It was their best offensive game. Of course, Ole Miss doesn't have a defense, and we know that. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, that was by design. You know, they kind of worked on that as a special thing for Ole Miss. And, and I think that it's good to have as many tricks in your bag of tricks as you possibly can, uh, you know, when you're in a situation where you're going to have to build a little bit with a new head coach. And I think the versatility is good. And I also think this, I think, you know, those of you that, you know, believe, and I understand why you believe this, and no matter what I say, it's not going to change your opinion, that Ryan Helensky – uh, is a great talent and, you know, needs to be in the game or, or whatever. If you, if, Let's just say if you hope that Ryan Alinsky wins the job, you know, I, I think keeping Bobo is the path, you know, the path for that. I really do. I think that, you know, you can believe what you want, think Mike Bobo doesn't like him or whatever. That's not true. Um, I think Bobo's coaching him up. And, and I think if Alinsky buys in and, you know, you, you add the some of the air raid concepts into it. You know, the, I think that increases his chances. It doesn't decrease, you know, because he's he's already kind of been indoctrinated into what, you know, what the system is going to be, sort of the guts of it. And then you sort of add around that. So, you know, I, I think the staff, you know, people, some people are going to wonder about the Mike Bobo hire. I'm, I'm not. I'm convinced. I know enough about what he's done this year and, and all that to be sold. I, I'm Like I said, I'm not a square peg and a round hole guy. I don't th- think that you take a guy that's been calling plays for 20 years and, and ask him to learn a whole new system and then call this now. Uh, that's not going to work, but I do think you can build on to the existing system because I've seen it done a, a lot. I mean, you know, you want to talk about coordinators evolving. I'll use another Clemson example. I mean, you know, Brent Venables, you know, he just didn't sit there and run what he's always run when he was short of some, some different types of D linemen uh, after the 2018 season. Uh, he went to Iowa State, kind of learned some things that they did. He had some personnel that fit it, and away you go. You know, and I think that the successful teams out there stay versatile uh, and, and they're able to do different things. That's called coaching. You know, I think sometimes bad coaching is sticking with the same thing over and over because it's your system and then it not working. And I've seen, you know, I've seen Mike Bobo do a lot of different things this year. And so I, and you look at his history and his system is versatile enough to where he does it. 
So that's enough about that. Uh, as far as the rest of the staff goes, public announcements, I, I do think it's important to get it right uh, rather than to get it right now. Um, and the reason is you, you got, like I mentioned, a bunch of recruiting spots to fill. You know, the new coaches are going to have some insight and relationships they can build on. Um, I, I don't think it's smart just to hire every, hire whoever to get people in place and, you know, try to build out the class in the early period when you're going to have a lot of players uh, to pick from and be available here in January coming up. Uh, of course, it's all going to be dead anyway, so it doesn't necessarily have to start in January. Uh, you know, you can start getting guys on the radar and stuff like that. And I, and I think I think it's very important to get it right uh, because, you know, normally your first class is your worst class if you're a new coach, but it doesn't have to be that way, you know. <laughs> and I think that's the idea here is, you know, and the reason is a lot of your first is your worst is you reach on guys. You know, you go take guys and, and all that. I thought Will Muschamp and his staff actually with the 2016 class, if you think about it, did a pretty good job. You know, they had, what, 38 days to get it together. But they also had the advantage of being on the road and going and seeing players and, you know, going and seeing high school coaches. And, and now you just got to do it over Zoom. And if they don't pick up the phone for you or pick up the Zoom call, you can't do it. So that's uh, that's another challenge and why, you know, it's important to get this these staff hires right. Um, and I think Shane Beamer will do that. I think that uh, we, we kind of get in this mindset of, and I'm this way. Look, guys, uh, I spent the whole month of July thinking it was May. You know, it just like it, it sounds funny, just um, internally because baseball was starting. You know, like I, I've lived my life probably for the past, you know, 33 years based on a a football and baseball and basketball calendar. You know, oh, basketball is starting. It must be November. Or, oh, you know, it's August going into September. Football is starting. Football didn't start until the end of September this year. And here we are in, in, in December, the day before championship weekend, and we're a week before Christmas. Normally, it's like three weeks. You know, you get championship weekend, and, you get, and that's when the high schools play their championship, and you go Shrine Bowl, and, you know, then it's the week before Christmas, and – you know, when they added the early period, then that was that. But uh, then you go break for Christmas and then get on a plane, if you were me, and go to an all-star game. And none of that's happening this year. Uh, so I think I think probably one of the reasons for the impatience is, is it all feels to us like, oh, okay, you know, this should be happening right now. And, and play, you know, new staff should be out on the road. We need news and all this other stuff. And I get that. But unfortunately, it's just the crappy year that we're in um, right now with the pandemic. And I uh, continue to be hopeful that uh, we're going to get a vaccine for all this. And, and by the summer, everything's going to be pretty much back to normal, you know, because uh, I think people will take the vaccine. Most of the population will get vaccinated. Those that don't, you know. That's their choice, and <laughs> but I don't think that the, the world needs to continue to stop, you know, once you get that vaccine mass distributed, and, and I'm hopeful that that happens. You know, I'm hopeful, uh, I have faith in whoever's heading all that up that that'll happen, and, and, and then it'll be different. You know, I think you, you could be in a position where you can have summer camps, football camps, and coaches could get back out on the road. 
uh, and see players and, and things of that nature. And so recruiting will go back to normal. It's just very, very crazy right now. And I'll tell you this, as far as recruiting goes, you just don't know. You know, South Carolina is not the only school that's not had the ability to evaluate guys in person since March. You know, uh, most of the legwork on some of these guys was done, you know, the in-person stuff last January. So the rest of the country may be flying blind too. So it's going to be the 2021 recruiting cycle is going to be pretty famous, I think, down the road because I think you're going to see a ton of kids in the portal uh, because they made decisions sight unseen uh, and they really don't fit where they get went. Um, and then you're going to have a lot of highly rated guys that end up not living up to their potential and a lot of lower rated guys that will just because nobody's been able to evaluate like they normally do. Coaches, analysts, whoever. I mean, you sort of just had to go off film and faith uh, with this thing. So so that's that's the good news because, you know, the, the, the flip side of that is it's a normal year. Everybody's been evaluated and you're left – with scraps, you know, <laughs> so to speak, nothing against the individual players, but you know, if everybody kind of had everything right, um, you know, you're kind of getting, you know, bumped down the list a little bit, you know, there, there's nothing that says somebody wouldn't have come in and thought Omega Blake was a great player, uh, you know, middle of the middle of his senior year. And, and, you know, your Georges of the world and people like that can come in and said, all right, we want you in Athens and, then all of a sudden you're going through a transition and, and Athens becomes more appealing. Nick Barrett, especially, you know, you, you could have lost that guy on the flip side. Maybe these guys aren't as good. I mean, that's just, just one of those things. It's just, it's a very, it's very, very difficult recruiting wise this time around. All right. There's two ways to get into the mailbag. First way is tweet to at the big spur pod and we have some of those, and also follow that account. Also, uh, also, um, you know, follow us on Instagram at Inside the Gamecocks if you're on Instagram. Uh, but that's the way you get to the mailbag, and then you can also email Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. All right, so Joe Sports Caller is the first. Got a couple of Joes. Uh, in the Twitter inbox here. Uh, Joe says, we're 2-8. and eight. That's the Gamecocks. And have the 14th-ranked class in the SEC. Is a bowl too high to expect in 2021 with a rookie head coach? I don't know that the fact the class is ranked 14th right now matters if you're talking about next year. You know, obviously, there's some positions that need help. Um, I don't. I don't think a bowl is out of the question. And then and, and you look you look at the schedule. You got Eastern Illinois, Troy, and uh, East Carolina. And the bad news is the game at East Carolina is at East Carolina. Mike Houston, you can kind of see them turning it a little bit up there. So they're going to be pretty good, uh, I think, in my opinion. Maybe not, but in my opinion, they'll be good. And um, so, you know, but that's still three games you should win. Uh, and then you got Vandy. Uh, still, they got a new coach or, or whatever. Uh, you know, Kentucky comes to South Carolina next year. Uh, so you got the Wildcats coming in. Uh, that's a game you should play pretty well in. Missouri uh, isn't some impenetrable force. Uh, Tennessee comes to actually go to Knoxville next year. So that's tough. 
Gamecocks have not done well in Knoxville over the years. Uh, the Gators come to Columbia. They lose a lot of players. Uh, Clemson allegedly comes to Columbia. Now, I, I say that now knowing what I know about the schedule. Like, uh, Ray Tanner was quoted the other day as saying that, you know, they're really close to the schedule on the, on the as far as the teams you're going to play, which tells me maybe that they, you know, because Auburn came to Columbia this year and, you know, as part of the, the all-conference schedule. So do they rework that? Do they start again? I don't know. So who is that West opponent? Um, and you have to kind of figure all that out. Uh, so, so I don't, you know, who, depending on who the West opponent is, and I'm pretty sure it'll be on the road. You know, you got to figure that out. Clemson will come to Columbia. I don't know if there'll be some kind of ticket split or something like that. I doubt it. I, I think that, if you went to Clemson this next year, it's going to screw everybody's schedule up for the years to come. So I think they're pretty much going to say, all right, well, we just couldn't play in Clemson in 2020. So we'll just get back in 2022 and do whatever. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know, without knowing the schedule, knowing who's coming in, um, knowing who gets better, knowing who leaves, uh, that's tough. But I, I don't think a bowl game is too high. I think that, you know, to get to six and six, that that's, you know, you're already halfway there with teams that you should beat no matter how good or bad you are in relation to the conference. Uh, and you could add Vandy, so that's four. So you need to find two from somewhere. And and I think that that, that could happen, you know. Uh, in fact, I, you know, I, I think that's a good goal in the first year to shoot toward. And if it's better than that, great. But uh, getting getting to a bowl in a normal year, you know, where, where you actually have to qualify, not like this year, uh, would be really good. So we'll see what happens. So, no, I don't think your question is uh, – or your expectations are out of whack. Think about this, too. You know, so so Carolina this year – right, so they won two conference games, um, Vandy and Auburn. And Auburn was already on the schedule. So, you know, that's two and six in the league – you know, if Carolina had gotten to play – and look, the Coastal game, because how good of how good Coastal was this year, obviously you can't rule out a hypothetical upset in the season opener. I tend to think Carolina would have won the game. Um, but, you know, you had Coastal, you had Wofford uh, on the schedule, and uh, you had East Carolina coming to Columbia. Uh, and so those, those games were games Carolina probably should have won. Um, and so then you're, you're looking, you're really five wins this year, a game away from making a bowl. Uh, you know, so that's, uh, yeah. And who knows, had you won those non-conference, maybe you have a little more confidence heading into that Missouri game. And, and that one would have gone your way as well at home. Uh, and there would have been a big crowd there instead of not a big crowd. So, you know, I, I, so I don't think that the two and eight looks terrible. It looks bad. Obviously, you don't want to ever be two and eight, <laughs> but it's not as bad as as maybe you think. You sort of look at it like a two and six conference record, which is bad, which is not good, but it's happened before. So uh, there you go. Um, Joe says, "What are your thoughts on the twenty five per year limit on recruiting in light of the one time transfer rule? I think it should be adjusted based on roster attrition." I agree. Um, and look, I would hope that the NCAA would make that adjustment. Uh, you know, I would hope that uh, I think 30 is a good number, um, you know, taking into account transfers. And, and I think that's a good number moving forward. 
you know, the 25 rule was made uh, out of, I think, I think a much ado about nothing kind of situation. You know, the big 10 people were talking about oversigning. They used very narrow cases of players that were at schools that were told, Hey, you need to go somewhere else if you want to play. You know, no school nowadays cuts guys. Uh, you know, they may encourage guys to transfer and, and say, look, here's the reality of your playing time situation, but you're welcome to stay. Nobody's taking scholarships. South Carolina's not pulling scholarships. Uh, you're guaranteed the four or five years on, as soon as you sign. Uh, and, and so the reason they went to 25 was because of oversigning and, you know, things like that. You know, it's, it's a trickle-down effect. Well, you know, you bring in these guys and then the other guys get booted out. But But I think – Reality is, you know, there's a lot of initial guys you sign that, you know, if one or two doesn't make it quite academically, which has happened at Carolina, if you have some guys that like just – and with the new transfer rule, you're going to have guys that show up, they can't get through the first two weeks, which is always very hard on a freshman. And now instead of, well, if I I leave, I'm going to have to sit out. So instead of that, it's it's a deal where I can just leave and go someplace else. Uh, and so you you got to you got to account for that too. So I I think the NCAA needs to move it to thirty, uh, you know, or, or, or go back to you can sign as many letter of intents as you want, but you can only enroll X number, you know, because I I think that would just be smarter. All right, there's tons. Those were from the Twitter account at the Big Spur Pod. There are tons of of emails um, in here with um, from the the email group. Noah, frequent emailer of the Big Spur Pod, the Inside the Gamecast podcast, at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter. JC, are there any transfers in the portal? Carolina could get them, would immediately be the number one receiver. In particular, could Amarian Brown from Georgia Tech be that guy? Yeah, Brown's from Tampa. Um, you know, I, I think possibly he could be a starter. I, I don't want to go number one receiver, uh, and I haven't seen a guy like that. But, you know, the, the idea is you go get them and, then you kind of figure it out when they get here. Uh, and you, you try to get the guy, you know, you try to get the guy, the guys on campus better too. Um, so that's it. But, yeah, I like Brown. I think if you can go after Brown and get Brown, great, 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 great. Seth says, hey, JCP, backing off my South Carolina recruiting question from yesterday, do you see Beamer making a pipeline to a state school like Clemson has done with Daniel and Dorman? Uh, seems like the past decade, both have sent several to Clemson, all contributed during their careers. Do you think a program like Dutch Fork and Tommy Knotts could be that for USC? Taking the Bryce Thompsons and Jalen Heights to help build a solid foundation for the program. Well, all right, so with Dutch Fork specifically, Carolina should always be pretty good at the school. Bryce Thompson was coming. I mean, he had nothing – that had nothing to do with the game guys getting beat on a guy or anything like that. Um he just, lack of a better phrase, didn't have the option to come to Carolina uh, when when that happened. And that's a shame because he's a really good player. Uh, Jalen Hyatt uh, was a guy they had in camp. They didn't like him. And there we go. There, there's a missed evaluation, most likely. But uh, I think Dutch Fork, I think South Point and Rock Hill, uh, you know, they did send Darian Kendrick to Clemson, but, you know, everybody else up there, as for the most part, when they've been wanted come to care, coming to Carolina, Omega Blake's the latest. Uh, I think that's a school. Obviously, Hammond, uh, the players they've put out, that's been a place South Carolina can depend on. Uh, 
Um, you know, in Columbia in general, South Carolina should should always be competitive with guys, but then there, there's just these handful of kids sometimes that want to get out of Columbia. You know, for whatever reason, they don't want to live in Columbia, don't want to stay at home and go to school, and that's fine. Um, you know, Daniel up there at Clemson, I mean, that's basically the Clemson High School. Uh, yeah, it's hard to get guys from up there. Um, but Clemson basically has to lock down one high school. And, you know, from guys guys that are good enough to play at Clemson now compared to guys that they, you know, have gotten from all over the country, you know, it's going to be hard to beat them. They're winning national championships. Uh, Dorman's always kind of been that way. Uh, I don't remember the last Gamecock uh, player from Dorman you know, that came there out of high school. Obviously, Colin Hill is uh, from Dorman. Um, but you'll see how that goes. I, I and, and, look, I, I do expect that. South Carolina, you know, where they are good is east of Columbia toward the coast, you know, that they need to really be competitive there. Uh, and then in Columbia and then up I-77, you know, which is which is three-fourths of the state, you know. So that's that's the deal there with the Gamecocks and pipeline schools. But, um, yeah, I, you know, and, and I think I, I think you can do that. I, I think the problem is, too, though, sometimes, like, you know, Dan, you, you talk about Daniel and Dorman, there's probably going to be a kid or two from Daniel and Dorman at least every other cycle, um, you know, and there should be at South Point, but the Rock Hill schools keep dividing and, and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, those two schools, Daniel and Dorman, I don't think – there hadn't been a new high school in Spartanburg County built in a while uh, and not in central either. So I, I think that that they're pretty much on solid ground and all that. Uh, and you can kind of, you know what to expect out of those programs every single year, but that's a good question. A good question. Certainly something that I think Shane Beamer would like to see. All right. Mailbag for Mitch. JC, apparently there are two mailbag Mitchells. I typically go by Mitch unless I get in trouble. Then sometimes the wife will go full name on me. Anyway, my question has to do with portal speculation. Do you think athletes entering the portal will wait until right after the February signing day or this Friday signing day or doesn't matter? I think they could enter the portal at any time. (laughs) I'll answer that one right now. You know, you're going to see it. And and when the rule is finally passed and official – I think you're going to see quite a bit jump in there. Now, if you're South Carolina, you're hoping you don't get hit too bad with it. Um, I assuming players are waiting to see the coaching movement and the fact that it might be wise to get confirmation that the NCAA will enact the free one-time transfer rule. Yeah, I mean, that's – I definitely think that's the deal. You're, you're kind of waiting uh, right there to see what will happen. Thanks for all you do. I have a newborn in the house, Silas Jack Ray. We have some free time on our hands uh, at odd hours. So if you wanted to update the podcast, up the podcast frequency, <laughs> we would be all for that, raising them right. Thank you, Mitch. I appreciate that. And yeah, I think that, you know, right now I'm trying to get out three a week or so. Uh, I uh, would like to that. I would like that to be five. But sometimes, like, when all this zaniness is going on, it's difficult because uh, I have to concentrate on the website and all that. But um, certainly, uh, we'll, we'll keep in mind you and little Silas Jack Ray uh, moving forward. I appreciate Mitch. I appreciate it, Mitch. And uh, thanks for listening. And hope you and your family have a Merry Christmas. Nathan says, uh, 
Nathan, Brian Kimbrough, Brian, Brian Kingsborough. Uh, for reference on my last question, I was a freshman when he was a senior at Clinton, never knew who recruited him or if Carolina was ever involved. Sadly, I do remember Brian being in self-contained classes. You don't have to answer on the pod. Just curious if you have any recollection on him. Leading rusher in 06. Yeah, I – shoot, 06. Was I at a Clinton? No, I was kind of – I would have been in a spot where I was going to Clinton football games maybe in 01. So – I don't remember him. I, I do think, you know, what you said about academics, that gets a lot of guys, a lot of good players uh, in the state, unfortunately. Uh, but, yeah, that's 2,009 yards and 28 touchdowns. That's a, that's a big deal. All right, so Rod says, J.C., I have a question. When we hit the transfer portals, do we have to wait for the NCAA to clear them like what happened with Jalen Brooks? No, you um, – it's if it's free one now now that's that's assuming they passed the the rule right hasn't officially been passed yet it's just looking that way but no you're you're waiting for a with Jalen Brooks you're waiting on a waiver to waive the rule where you have to sit out and that's a process that takes time what what they're proposing is there's no waivers for your first transfer you just go and you're eligible so that's the deal there thanks for your question another transfer portal question from Brayson Haney. JC, what are your thoughts on South Carolina's chances of reaching into the portal and getting DeMarcus Gregory, a former in-state recruit out of Duncan? He's a receiver that's transferring out of Ole Miss, which is an extreme need for us. What's your evaluation when we go for him? I don't think so. Carolina passed on him out of high school. Uh, He did a little better than I thought early on, but he didn't catch a single pass at Ole Miss this year. I don't think. Maybe he was hurt, but Obviously, that's a that's an offense that threw it around quite a bit. Um, so I, I don't know that you upgrade there uh, with Gregory. Uh, now maybe so, you know, in-state guy. Uh, if I have to take a shot on su- shot with somebody, I'll take a shot with Demarcus Gregory. But I, I just don't see it uh, if you if you're being honest about it with him. But we shall see. I will not. I've not been told they would not take him. How about that? Mark says, good morning, JC. I feel a combo of Bobo and Garrett Riley on offense and Jay Bateman on defense are very solid hires and set us up for future success, particularly Bateman, who favors the 4-2-5 style of attacking defense we were used to under Ellis Johnson. I feel like the 4-2-5 should become part of our identity as a program with so many direct links to our past. I don't, I don't know if you need a 4-2-5. I think that I think that simplification on defense would be good. I think a four-man front is good. I will caution you, Jay Bateman does use a lot of different fronts. Uh, but but his defense, the thing that gets me is that it's, it's supposed to be fun to play in. You know, it's a fun defensive scheme um, that will blitz from a variety of spots. They, they try to dictate the offense. I think nowadays, you know, with defenses just getting abused <laughs> uh, in the game. Uh, and we'll see if this is a COVID thing or not because – everybody's given up lots of points this year. Everybody. It's across, totally across college football. So my question is, is the game evolving to where we're all kind of going to be the Big 12 now at times? Or is that a COVID year kind of deal with defensive players and, you know, no spring practice and not a lot of hitting and, and things like that? So, so, so what's the question there? Um, but I, I agree. Look, I, I think that Whatever defense that Shane Beamer decides to run, you know, if it's successful, needs to be the identity. 
Uh, and I think that's his plan. You know, he, he wants – you look up at Clemson, right, and um, Chad Morris comes in, you know, and, and that's the Clemson. And Dabo, everybody kind of chuckled at him like, oh, that's not the Chad Morris offense, that's the Clemson offense. And everybody chuckles. <laughs> uh, uh, and then, you know, Chad Morris leaves and, you know, Tony Elliott comes in and he'd never called plays and Jeff Scott takes over and he just promotes from within. And uh, everybody chuckles. <laughs> well, then the next thing you know, they're playing for and winning national championships and nobody's chuckling anymore uh, because they kept – I mean, and look, they evolved it a little bit and they tweaked it a little bit, but it's the same offense. It, it's it's actually better than what Chad Morris is running now, in my opinion, with Tony Elliott calling it. And I, I felt that way – I guess it was 2017, right after they won the title – the next year when they had Kelly Bryant for the whole year, I felt like that was sort of the the evolution complete because they would just sit there and, and they would get up and their defense was so good, they would just run the ball and, and just bleed you to death. And um, that's how they won that year because they, you know, they weren't dynamic at quarterback and, and all that. It was before Trevor Lawrence and all that good stuff. So I think that uh, – I think that that's what Shane Beamer wants to do. You know, it's not going to be the Mike Bobo offense or the Garrett Riley offense. It's going to be the South Carolina offense. Uh, not going to be the Jay Bateman defense or John Heacock defense or whoever on defense. It's going to be the South Carolina defense. And I think that's smart. That's what they did at Virginia Tech when his dad was there. They 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 they, they tweaked it and, and messed with it and, and, and evolved it on both sides, but they were essentially the same. The foundations were the same. This is what we do, and we're going to perfect it. And it worked. I think it's worked at most great programs, uh, you know, or most programs that aspire to be great. I think that sometimes when you get into consistent change and reinventing the wheel every two years, that's that gets difficult no matter how good, you know, how good that evolution looks on paper. You know, I mean, I, I, you think about this too, you know, it, it was uh, under Spurrier, you know, that offense the whole time he was there evolved. But it got better, you know. Uh, it was just different, but better, you know, at times. Uh, and, and really, Spurrier's second to the last season, 2014, he had uh, he had his best offense. So there you go. <laughs> and uh, that's the key here, I think, with anything. But that's a that's a really good point, Mark. I, you know, in my opinion, you get a Bobo Riley combo on offense and Bateman on D. Great. I mean, that, those, those are two tremendous coordinator hires. All right. Mitch responds again. JC Portal question. How do you think this one-time transfer rule will affect non-Power Fives in football? For example, the Sun Belt, where they play pretty good. Pros and cons, please, from a Power Five, non-Power Five point of view. With a non-Power Five, you've got to worry about your best players leaving. And that's an FCS, too. Uh and that's been happening in basketball for a long time. Uh, somehow basketball guys are maybe willing to sit a year or, you know, sometimes they get their waivers approved more <laughs> frequently. I mean, th this has been happening in basketball for a while. With football, you know, you got a hot shot quarterback that, that's, you know, NFL ready, and, and there have been NFL quarterbacks from th this level of football you know, and, and he kind of thinks, I, I want to go win a national championship somewhere. Uh, and he comes on in. You know, that that's not good if you're a group of five school or an FCS school. 
but that's the reality of the, the, the rule that they're passing. And so, you know, that they, the NCAA by passing this rule and it's a double-edged sword. Cause like, if you're South Carolina right now, you're in favor of it. You're in favor of this, this, this rule, you know, cause you've got a roster to kind of load, you know, it, it's not a complete rebuild from the ground up, but there are positions you need guys. Okay. And you don't want to be depending on freshmen. Uh, so I think, that, that, you know, it, it's a double-edged sword because there are some schools out there where it's going to absolutely hurt them. If your top three players are leaving every year, you know, that that that's, that stinks. That stinks. So, you know, and, and look, I could see at some point some rule where if you go up a level, you know, because the NCAA doesn't really see group of five or power five. So, first of all, they're going to have to admit that there is a power five. But I can see some some rule where – all right, so we're going to waive your transfer if you're going down a level like they used to have, and I think they may still do that, um, or staying the same. In other words, if you're a Power 5 kid and you transfer to another Power 5, you're immediately eligible. If you're not, and, and you know, if you're a group of five or one AA FCS, you you got to sit if you move up. Um, that's the way I would do it because I, I do – I am concerned that, it, you know, those schools are going to become like a farm system, uh, you know, to where you got a guy that, I mean, and that, that stinks because in my opinion, if you miss on a guy in recruiting, you should have to pay the, pay the price. But, um, you know, then again, if, if you're, if you're a kid, uh, maybe you weren't ready to go play power five football coming out. Let's say you were 190 pound defensive end and all of a sudden your body changes and you're 255 and lightning fast uh, and you're playing at a one double a school and you want to go test your metal elsewhere, who am I to say you can't do it? So, but I, I, Mitch, I'm that, that's a big concern of mine just in terms of, of everything and, you know, players going back and forth and all that. Now for, from my standpoint, as far as what I do for a living, gives us more to talk about and report on, you know, <laughs> that's a good, that's a good thing. But uh, as far as what's good for the game, I don't know that that's going to be good for the game. I think, uh, you know, some coaches are going to be very fair and judicious about it uh, and not go and, and try to raid other rosters, but I think some will. And uh, that's what's going to be unfortunate. So there you go. Micah, JC, love the podcast and feel confident saying yours is the best. Thank you. I'm the same Micah who referenced the hot spot being in the same location you mentioned several episodes back. So I'm another upstate guy, and the radio around here is garbage. I like JB and Goldwater and the Gamecock Central guys. I do too. Uh, but you offer something unique to the fan base. Thanks for your hard work. I appreciate how you keep a pulse on how the fan base is feeling. Thank you. Here's my thought and question. Do you think this is a multi-year turnaround for Beamer? I think the extra year of eligibility has the potential to help teams create quality depth way faster than ever before because more players will be available via transfer portal and some seniors may choose to return. I've come around on the Beamer hire, but I think it's important that he wins soon. My concern is if he doesn't win soon and negative momentum mounts again, we will fall into the abyss of the college football ranks. I think getting back to six, seven wins a year is essential for our program. The past two years have been so hard to swallow. I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right. And there's more from Micah, but I'm going to stop right there and address this. I agree. I think getting back to bowl eligibility is very important. 
I'll also remind everyone Will Muschamp got there in his first year, taking over a three-win team and and really with a roster that had more holes than this one and with a uh, without a transfer portal and without seniors having extra eligibility. So, you know, he kind of pieced it together with freshmen. That was probably his best coaching job at Carolina, if you want to know the truth, first year. And that team wasn't very good. But that team battled and fought and scrapped its way to six wins. Um, and a lot of young players got a lot better and played at a high level for him that year. Um, so I would love to hear your thoughts. Also, do you have any contacts related to support staff roles, like football chaplaincy type roles? I've been a student minister, grew first Baptist for four years, and I feel confident that my future is in full-time ministry. I'm 29. I don't know if I want to do student ministry much longer, but I'm also not ready to be a lead pastor. I don't know what they're going to do as far as that stuff goes um, within the program. Uh, Micah says he's talking to a mentor who knows the Beamer family. She told me they're a great family. Yes, they are. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to skip over that part. Uh, Dream job. I know. Okay, so yeah, as far as kind I don't know anybody that, that, that with that part of it because you know, sometimes in the program that 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 end has been kind of farmed out, I guess. Like it's not a full time role. It's somebody that kind of works with the program. So I don't know all the specifics there. Um, blah, 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 all that good stuff. Uh, OK, so I'll uh, I hope you listen to that part, Micah, and then I'll, I'll shoot you an email here. Uh, I'm going to try to find some info and shoot you see an email here in the next couple of days. Long story short, folks, Micah, Micah wants to get into the ministry part of athletics, which I think is great. Um, and I'm going to probably, probably see no guarantees that I can, if I can help him with that. And you guys, uh, I am honored that anyone would think enough of me in this podcast to, to ask that kind of advice on the podcast, but wanted to kind of, wanted to kind of uh, leave out some of the more, detailed parts i'm sure michael that was kind of between me and him all right that's all the time we have here on friday on the inside the game guys podcast I, we should know the bowl destination on sunday should and that'll be good and uh we could talk about that birmingham or tampa is what it looks like if it's tampa we'll be eight we're eight days before kickoff of the gasparilla bowl so that's a quick turnaround but the guys have been practicing and all that good stuff so um, so we'll see what happens. All right. This has uh, been J.C. Sherbert's Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the Big Spur Pod. Hit us up on Instagram uh, at Inside the Gamecocks. And uh, we'll holla at you soon.